you study enough, you're like, oh my God, it's so complex. And you can just dive deeper and deep. it's never ending. It just dives deeper and deeper, right? Proteins become amino acids, become chains of carbon and nitrogen. It just, it, it just keeps going. And all of a sudden you just pull all the way back and it's almost like an epiphany and you just sort of fly back out and you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's food. It's all food. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And in episode 306, we feature part one of Trev's conversation with the godfather of the modern day intermittent fasting movement, Brad Pilon. Brad is a nutritionist and sports science writer, best known for his seminal book on fasting, Eat, Stop, Eat. He's also the author of Thin Air, How Much Protein, and Good Belly, Bad Belly. And today, we hear about how Brad's journey began, from his original inspiration, through his graduate work studying the effects of fasting, to his epiphanies around food, lifestyle, fitness, and more. It's a deep dive. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro. The current version of Rehearsal, an essential app for actors, is now available in the iOS app store for your iPod Touch, iPhone, or iPad, your iOS device. So guys, if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make bold, strong choices quickly, effectively, book the office every time, do a whole bunch more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now, where you can learn all about the kick-ass new features in this newest version of Rehearsal, a groundbreaking app designed specifically by actors, specifically for actors. It is a must-have tool for your toolkit. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Hey, Trev. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Hey, so where are you? Where are you? I knew that, I, I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm like, <laughs> before we started recording for our listeners, I was like, I'm in a house and I'm in a room. And he's like, what? What's going on? Yes, uh, I'm in San Francisco. Uh, I am up here with uh, the Jewish Women's Theater, and I was thinking about it, and the last time I was up here, we recorded an episode. It was actually a quarterly review uh, a little over a year ago, and it was right after that trip that, like, we were driving back to L.A., and our car broke down, and we ended up getting a new car, and mm. all these plans that got upended. So here we are. It feels very uh, it feels very similar. You're back, um, full circle. I know, right? I know. Yeah, so, uh, so that's where I am. I'm in San Francisco. So have you done shows? Are you on the tail end of this trip or are you just beginning? Just beginning. I just got here last night and um, I have my first show this evening in uh, Marin. And then I have a show tomorrow night in Palo Alto. And then Jasmine and I will be driving back probably probably along the coast. We'll see. We, oh, uh, we, have, so not cool. made, uh, we have not made like specific plans, but uh, always love to come up here, spend time in the city. Um, it's also why I sound different. If we have any auto audio files like Trevor listening to the, uh, to the episode, I am using the, uh, Apple good old, good old Apple headphones to record this episode. So, mm. and so this is, uh, the same show that you've been working on and you've got two performances, but it's the same play, but in a different location each time. Is that right? Yeah, that's sort of their their game. They they do um, salon style theater and yeah. they perform. We you know we've been performing in uh, people's homes, their main space in Santa Monica, um, synagogues, and these two shows are at uh, two JCCs up here. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting, and uh, I really like uh, working with them. I I have not admitted this to them yet, but I did forget my guitar. Um, oh, okay. and had to uh, had to source one uh, being up here. But uh, as a, a friend of a friend said last night, I picked a really good city to forget guitar in. Like I'm in San Francisco, I think it's going to be okay. 
I have friends up here. I had a lot of people reach out on social media, like it's going to be fine. Uh, and then push comes to shove. If worst case scenario, I can always go to like Guitar Center and buy something and then return it a few days later. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. So you've been at this game for a while, uh, doing a lot of like live theater. You've traveled a lot, done a lot of regional stuff. Uh, and you're just the fact that you forgot the guitar and you're like, eh, no big deal. I got this. Uh, that struck me because you, your relationship to the work feels so much more mature and professional. Now there's no like freak out that I sense in your voice, uh, or in your character these days. Um, how, how would you say things have changed for you over the years, uh, going through, this going on this journey, uh, you know, all over the sort of Western seaboard, as it were, uh, um, you know, doing these 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 jobs and and having something like a guitar, you know, like a major prop forgotten, not not be uh, an issue. Well, I mean, uh, before I answer your question, I have to admit that there was this moment because when I realized it, I was actually on the plane descending into San Francisco. And I had in-flight Wi-Fi, and I was texting Jasmine like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" I forgot. <laughs> so the freakout happened, but it didn't last very long. I will say that. So uh, it definitely happened. I definitely had a moment of freakout, and then I just breathed and relaxed, and I and I sort of thought exactly what I said before, which is that I picked a really good, you know, city to forget a guitar in. There's going to be a solution, and I know that there's going to be a solution. It's just a matter of making it happen. As far as answering your question. I, I, I think that just comes from experience. I don't know that there's any other way to, you know, I could I could sit here and talk about all the tools that I've used over the years, like, you know, meditation and preparation and, and all of that. And I'm not saying that those things are not a factor. I'm simply saying that it's just like with auditioning. You know, uh, for instance, I'll tell you the story. I, I was telling this story to Jasmine yesterday. I went to this commercial audition um, a few days ago. And there was this guy there who was <clears throat> auditioning for the same thing I was. And he was probably uh, maybe five years younger than me. So we're talking like, you know, late 20s-ish, uh, maybe maybe early 30s. And he was – you could tell there was just this energy about him that was like this really excited energy. And uh, he had he had with him this – you know those um, hangers with like the the suit cover that you get? There's probably a name for this that I don't know and I feel kind of dumb. But like you unzip it and like your suit comes out, you know, and yeah. you put yeah. – yeah, get... So he – it seemed as though he had just gotten his suit jacket dry cleaned or something. And so he had it in one of those bags and he pulled it out and he put it on. He was he was like dressed really well for this for this audition and, and, and what he was wearing was not – you know, it was for like a bouncer. Um, so what he was wearing was not off base, but I could tell just by looking at him and his energy and, and, and the sort of the choices they had made in, in wardrobe and what he was bringing to the audition with him, he had put in a lot of thought, effort, um, and energy <clears throat> into what was ultimately going to be a less than 30 second audition because it was for a commercial. And I, I looked at him and I and, and this was not a judgment. It wasn't a bad thing. It just was me noticing just an observation. I went, huh, that used to be me. I remember buying going out and buying. This is a true story. I bought a hundred dollar jacket for a non-union music video audition that I was in for maybe 15 seconds. They lined us up and they went down the line and asked us like uh, some stupid autobiographical question, which happens a lot in commercial auditions these days. And I answered it. And that was it. That was the entire audition. Of course, I didn't get a call back and I didn't book it. And I just remember, and I was telling, you know, Jasmine about all this last night, this sort of recollection of being that person. And I don't think, I think we have to go through that. We have to go through that so that we build up this experience of being at an audition and knowing what our job is. Like <clears throat> most of the other guys that were there besides, besides me and actually this guy were huge because it's for a bouncer. So these guys were like massive, taller than me. I'm 6'3". There were guys that were like 6'6", six, six, super broad-shouldered, just big, big dudes. And I'm looking around and I'm going, if I'm going to book this, it's going to be because of my my acting. Not because of, you know, I know that commercials are a face lottery, 
but that's the only thing I could possibly have on any of these guys as far as this role is concerned, is to be a good actor. And I went in, and I felt really good about it, and the guy who was running the session said that, that was, those reads were perfect. Back-to-back, back, I did two. Back-to-back, he's like, those were great reads, like, so good. Great job. And I know he's not the final decision maker, but I did my, I did my sort of acting thing. And anyway, this all comes full circle to, to – I know it's a long-winded way of answering your question, but I, I wouldn't be able to have that sort of comfort in the room if it wasn't for experience. And I don't know that there's any other way to get to that other than, you know, I think it was Ben Whitehair that said you have to audition 500 times before you can feel that way. Yeah. And, 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 and there's, there's no easy way to get 500 auditions. You have to either be, you know, busting your, your hump to make it happen yourself or busting your hump to get representation to help you. And, and then you're both working at it. You're still doing a lot for yourself and they're, they're doing it. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. Did I even answer your question at the end of the, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the end of all this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I love that answer because it just cuts back to, it actually fits well with sort of what, uh, the philosophy that, that Brad has developed over the years that we'll hear about later in the episode, um, during the interview portion. But, um, it's just, it's like, there are no shortcuts. Like there is nothing that replaces hard work, mundane repetition, discipline, rigor. It's just the only way through is through. And we live in this society where it's like, it's a hacking society. Everybody's like obsessed with like hacking and shortcuts and how to get massive results with the least amount of effort. And I think that there's, you know, there's stuff to explore there. But at the end of the day, it always comes back to like the time tested truth of you just got to do the work, You got to <laughs> do the work. I'm sorry. Like, yes, we uh, live in an era of lasers and pills, but you still got to do the work. Lasers and pills. Oh, my God. Lasers and pills, bro. Yeah. Patent or uh, you need to copyright that. You know what this is reminding me of? Um, I remember when I was roommates with our former producer, um, Nelson, Nelson Murray. Um, and I remember it was right around the time, like he sort of introduced me to the whole like Tim Ferriss, you know, body hacking like thing, but he was not a, like, he was not obsessive. He, that was not his thing. He was just like, like you, Trevor, sort of interested in it. Right. He, uh, once I, I'll know, I will never forget this moment. We were uh, hanging out at home and I was looking at, um, I think four hour body, right. Tim Ferriss's book. And I was looking at all of these different like supplements and stuff that he was taking. And I remember like looking them up online and <clears throat> I was going to, you know, make a special trip to GNC. And I was talking to Nelson and I was like, what do you think I should get? Like, like, do you think I should like get this thing or this pill or this supplement or whatever? And he looked at me and just like super calm and not in any sort of judgmental way. He said, AJ, get a multivitamin and go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was I was sort of embarrassed because I had got allowed myself to sort of get caught up hmm. in in the sort of body hacking thing that you know he will admit he sort of introduced me to so you know I'm not I'm not placing blame it's just like funny how the sequence of events you know occurred uh but I will never forget that so like go to the gym was like a uh it, it, it's sort of an analogy, right? For it's doing like the, the work. Yeah, it's the ultimate fitness hack. <laughs> Lift weights, <laughs> do resistance training, get your heart rate up. Works, works every time. Fitness hack, go to the gym. You, you know what? I, I, I hate to cut this conversation short, but ironically, there is a segue here to uh, one of the couple of announcements that we have. Um, because if anyone is going to tell you that the only way uh, to get better is to, you know, uh, tell yourself that you're not getting the job and do the work. It's Michael Kostroff. Amen. Right? Like, I, I feel like, I feel like what we're talking about in terms of auditions is everything that auditions like one one is about. Right. Yeah. So, so we have this, uh, this announcement and I think Trev, you, you, you put this in here. So, you know, a little bit more 
I just know what's on the what's on the screen here. But do you want to tell our listeners about about what what's coming up here in, in L.A.? Absolutely. So if you guys are listening and the name Michael Kostroff is not ringing a bell or you're not familiar with his name, go back in our feed and listen to. Well, I think we've had him on twice now. Michael Kostroff's episodes and each each interview was a two two part interview. Uh, Michael Kostroff is a very prolific working actor, uh, film, television, theater, and uh, just the kindest, gentlest, most wonderful soul you could ever hope to meet. And uh, he created a workshop or a sort of audition approach called Audition Psychology 101. It's the simplest, most life-changing thing you could possibly imagine. And it's coming back to Los Angeles. So if you're in LA and you're listening to this and you have not taken Audition Psych 101 yet, get thee to North Hollywood on Thursday, April 5th. There's going to be two additions, uh, two I don't know, um, uh, two offerings of this workshop, one at 11 a.m. and one at 6 p.m. Again, that's Thursday, April 5th, coming right up at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. at the Crown City Theater in North Hollywood. And this is a live workshop. It will be recorded, but the good news is, since they're going to be doing that, you can get a 30% discount. It's a pretty sweet uh, inside acting special price. So there's a special page that you can only find if you use our link. We're not getting a kickback from this or anything. This is just something we think every actor should should experience. Go to insideacting.net slash 101, as in Audition Psychology 101. Uh, insideacting.net slash 101 to get access to that discount. Book your spot Thursday, April 5th, 11 a.m. or 6 p.m. Maybe three, four hours is uh, the amount of time you'd want to book for this, but it's in North Hollywood. Just check it out, man. If you haven't experienced it yet, it will change your game. So, uh, yeah, head over again one more time, insideacting.net slash 101 to reserve your spot on Thursday, April 5th, either 11 or 6 at the Crown City Theater in North Hollywood for the Audition Psych Workshop. It's, it's, uh, it's a game changer. It really is. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. Okay, so here is part one of my conversation with Mr. Brad Pilon. Uh, guys, this was such a joy to sit down and chat to Brad. It was via Skype. He lives up, up in Canada, um, obviously. Uh, we did it via Skype. I didn't fly up there. We don't have that kind of budget right now, but maybe someday. But, uh, man, it was such a cool conversation. I'm always interested in the sort of you know, what's happening behind the curtain when it comes to diet and fitness and nutrition. And Brad writes extensively about this stuff. He's got several books, just a few of which we talk about in this interview and named in the uh, teaser for this. But if you are at all interested in nutrition and are looking for uh, just the simplified way to approach some of the complex issues we deal with in the entertainment industry, things like what to eat, how to eat, when to eat, how to uh, change my relationship that I have with my body when I look in the mirror. Do I like what I see? Do I not like what I see? That's kind of what this conversation is about. And it goes pretty deep. It doesn't necessarily follow a, a linear structure. I think you'll really, really enjoy this. So uh, buckle in, get ready for a fun ride uh, through the psychology of food as well as the biology of food and fasting and fitness. And we'll catch you on the other side. You know, we're a, we're a podcast that's focused on the entertainment industry, specifically uh, the journey of actors and filmmakers and sometimes models and things like that uh, as they yep. sort of, 
you know, move to La La Land and make their way through the industry and, and the various things that come up. And, and when we first started this podcast, it was very much about like, you know, the, the nuts and bolts stuff. Like, how do I get in the room? You know, what should I do about my headshots? What are some good audition techniques? And as it's gone on, it's it's really evolved to be more about the inner game. You know, what kind of person do I need to build myself into in order to have a successful long career in this industry, which can be pretty brutal sometimes. Um, and, and, and a big sort of thing that, that comes up quite a bit is, is, uh, is, you know, ageism and body issues and health. Of course, you know, people in LA are either all on board and they're, they're going gluten-free and they're trying all the crazy superfoods or they just hate their bodies and they're just resigned to, to being miserable. And what I really love about your work is that it, it, for me at least, it, it helps sort of reset my relationship to food. I, I just find that you have a very sort of flexible, mature relationship to eating, and you just you, you laid out in your book, you stop eat, you just yeah, you just stop eating every once in a while. It's not that big a deal. People have been doing it forever. Um, so we're rolling. I guess we might as well just jump into this. All right, let's do this. Yeah, I, I love your work. Uh, I'm a big fan. I've been following you since. 2009 or so, I think. Oh wow! So one of the one of the originals. I did, I got going around 06, so that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I had one of the very first editions of East Stop Eat, uh, and uh, and it was a real game changer for me. And I, I've sort of dipped in and out of it as I've experimented with all sorts of diets. But but as I said, it, it really helps me sort of reset my relationship to food. And I, I find myself every once in a while slipping into a toxic relationship with food. And on a recent podcast that I listened to with you, you talked about having a bit of a revelation sitting on the couch. And like stuffing, stuffing like a whole bag of cookies in your mouth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Can you yeah. can you can you tell that story and maybe we can lead into a, a bit of how you really got involved in in becoming a, a sports science and nutrition writer? Yeah, look, they're they're different stories. So let let's start with the sports science, um, mostly because it probably relates to a lot of of your listeners, right? But it was uh, I'm forty, gonna be forty one uh, this July. And so for anybody roughly that age, you'll remember uh, Lou Ferrigno playing the Incredible Hulk on, on TV, which interestingly turned into David Banner and not Bruce Banner for, for whatever reason. But and that was my like, you know, my, my memory of watching that show with my dad and just, you know, rightly or wrongly, when, when there was trouble, it was solved by just turning into the, the bigger <laughs> man. Right. Yeah. But that's what got me into like. You know, that was an actor that wasn't we didn't even have CGI. Right. We had that or crappy claymation back then. So it was it was really amazing when my dad is like, no, that's other than the green paint. That's what that guy Lou Frigno looks like. Right. And I was hooked from there. And so from like a super young age was was into the idea of, of bodybuilding but was not in any way, shape, or form a, a bodybuilder. So to, to give you an idea, again, we, we talked briefly about how I'm, I'm, I live in Canada is uh, I wasn't actually allowed to play hockey. I didn't even learn how to skate until I was in my early 20s because my parents thought I was too small, right? So genetically not a gifted, going to turn into a bodybuilder, but, but in love with it all the same. And so that led me more along the lines of, um, you know, if you can't do, teach, right? So I got into learning about sports science at just an incredibly young age and then trying to figure out, you know, what I would have to do to, to possibly be as big as the guys who are just naturally big. So I, you know, from age, I want to say 10 to 12, somewhere in that range, I had a, a subscription to the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So I had no clue. Like I was reading it and I spent half the time looking up the words and this is like pre-Google, right? So I'm dictionarying and encyclopediaing it. It was yeah, crazy. Let me just set that off there. It, wait, it, it sounds – it's nuts. You said you're 10 or 12 years old and you had a subscription to this high-level sort of science magazine. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it, it was sort of always a love, the biology of it, right? The, the learning aspect of it is what I really enjoyed. And so um, I think by 14, 15, I was working in um, just like a local supplement shop. You know, selling sports supplements, whether they're fat loss or, or or muscle building, and so I knew that side of the. I'm going to call it science. No, we'll say that side of the story, right? The the marketing aspect of the science, how how people themselves are really interested in the science if you explain it properly. Mm. If you don't, their eyes glaze over. Yeah, right. Yeah. The world's too big, or you're too excited, or not excited enough. You, you lose them. And, and that got me kind of interested into not just the science of it, 
but how to um, explain or have a dialogue with someone about something you're really interested in, which is the science, in a way that makes them interested. Dude, that's the story of my life right there. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, like my, my family doesn't ever want to hear me talk ever again. <laughs> tired of it. So, and so from there, I went to a degree in, in nutrition and I left from my degree in nutrition and worked in the supplement industry for six and a half, almost seven years. And, and, and let me stop you. What were you doing in the supplement industry specifically? R&D. R&D. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah. So running the, the research and development department, I was lucky enough. I, I got in with a, a company that was, um, just a good company, right? One of the ones that says, you know, for every dollar of this, a portion of every sale goes towards their multi-million dollar research budget. But they weren't, they weren't lying. They actually had this massive research budget that you could just sort of spend, right? Mm-hmm. Back when supplements just made a lot of money. And so you could take a portion of a couple million dollars and throw it towards research. And, and that's what this company was doing. So, you know, just by pure luck, I was, still in a learning situation, even while working. Hmm. And then, yeah. And then I got bit by the bug, right? Because you're sort of surrounded by research all the time. That made me want to go back to school. I go back to school at, you know, 29. So I like to call it my quarter life crisis. You know, who who wants a a paying job and and stability? Let's go back into grad work. (laughs) And I ended up studying fasting. And it was, this is like 05, 06, when when fasting was definitely not a thing, when you had to eat every three hours, right? You'd literally die. Your metabolism would stop and you'd just die. Right, yeah, yeah. And it was such an odd thing to study that um, I I carved out a little niche for it when I was done because nobody was writing about it. So I took what I had learned way back when working the supplement shop about how to discuss science with people to make it interesting. And I took my graduate thesis and then kind of rewrote it. And that was probably the version of Eat Stop Eat that you bought. I, I got a new version of Eat Stop Beat at one point, and and it was in, included with that was I think the Zen of Nutrition or or a, a sort of s- smaller uh, um, manifesto, as it were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you you said something that completely baked my noodle in that short ebook that I've had to go back and reread a, a, several times because it just changed my world. You you said something like you know there's a Zen saying, yes, that before enlightenment. You know, mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers, and trees are trees. While you're becoming enlightened, mountains are no longer mountains, rivers are no longer rivers, and trees are no longer trees. And then after enlightenment, once you've achieved enlightenment, mountains are once again mountains, rivers once again rivers, trees once again trees. And you you said if you just replace the word uh, enlightenment, or or maybe it was Zen was the word that was used. If you replace that word with nutrition. That's basically been your journey. You've you've basically yeah. done all the research, all the science, and what it comes down to is it it's a complex system. There's so many variables. So just enjoy your food and don't eat too much. There's unlimited variables, and that's the hard part, right? So you know when when you're a child, food is just food, right? There's some you like, some you don't like. Um, a little bit of that is, is learned, right? So I think you learn at a young age that Brussels Brussels sprouts and broccoli are gross just because of other kids and TV shows, the ew reaction. Right. But they're, they're food, right? Then when you start studying them, they're not food anymore. They're proteins, carbs, fats, they're calories, they're microminerals, they're, they're, you know, combinations. They're just, they're not food. You view them as their substances, as, as the things they're made of. But then if you study enough, you're like, oh, my God, it's so complex and you can just dive deeper and deep. it's never ending. It just dives deeper and deeper. Right. Proteins become amino acids, become chains of carbon and nitrogen. It just it, it just keeps going. And all of a sudden you just pull all the way back and it's almost like an epiphany and you just sort of fly back out and you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's food. Yeah. It's all. Food. <laughs> yeah. Right? And so if I can enjoy my food the way I kind of enjoyed it before I started learning about it then I'm probably in a place where I, I can do this and, and just sort of eat responsibly. And it's something we talk about a lot. But, you know, when you're, let's say, a teen, right, and you, you, an early teen, so you're still maybe either going out for Halloween or you're raiding your younger brother or sister's stash, right? And you can eat it all in a night and, and you probably might even puke, right? Like you're just like, that was a pound and a half of jelly beans. It was not a good idea, right? So we've all done something similar. We're on a birthday party, had like five pieces of cake, right? Like we, we've done that. And the thing to remember is that we, we've had our turn doing that, right? So we can go back to viewing food as food and just realizing we kind of have to eat like responsible adults now. Like we're not growing in height anymore. We're just growing in width, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we don't have that excuse. We can just sort of eat 
responsibly, but enjoy your food. And it's just a, so much of a better journey with very, very similar results that there's no reason to do the more complex version. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a great segue to this story about you sitting on the couch and just downing that whole bag of cookies because we often, you know, eat responsibly is, is great, but that's so much tougher to do in practice. It is. And we're taught the cookie story is an interesting one too, for me, because I've had multiple um, events like that one, I'm sorry to say, but uh, it's odd because sometimes they're not an out of control craving. Sometimes they've been logic. And what I do is I logic in the, the magic of it. And I'm still looking for magic in food, right? I'm still thinking if I eat a ton, well, you know, maybe I know I did have a couple hard workouts. I need to recover, right? Or mm. it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to just, this won't count. And it just sit there going like it, it, it counts and you don't need to recover. And it just, you, you need to stop doing this, right? You can have a cookie. There's nothing wrong with having a cookie. You can probably get away with having two, maybe even four. You just can't eat the entire bag yourself watching TV. That's, that's, that's all I'm really telling myself, right? It's like maybe that's not the best idea. And it, it's so funny because we want such a complex explanation of, of not even what to do because we don't want the what to do to be complex. We want the why do it to be complex. And it just doesn't need to be. And that, that was sort of a fundamental lesson for me was realizing that the, I like to think of it this way, is that learning the names we've given the, all the hormones in our body and all the uh, metabolic pathways, et cetera, doesn't change what they do, right? When we were seven and didn't know the names of anything right, of, of consequence, they did the same thing they do now that we can name, you know, testosterone and angiogen receptors and all that kind of insulin and growth hormone. You know, we, we've got names for it all. It doesn't change the fact they're doing exactly what they were doing anyways. Right. Yeah. So there's no need, need, need to get that deep. God, that is such a trip. That's so funny. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I, I want to know how everything. I want to look behind the curtain and see how all the machinery works. Because we think that we, we under the better we understand it, the, the better it'll work, right? Or, or, or maybe we can actually grasp it and control it. And it just rarely does it work that way. And we like to think that we're all physically equal, that we have the same physical potential, right? That if we just knew the secrets of, of those people who just look the way we want to look, that we could also look like that. And that's, that's what kind of drives it, right? Is the idea that physically we're all made of the same sort of clay, and if we just knew how that guy or girl shaped their clay, we could do the same thing. Hmm. But it's, you know, it's more, there is an innate giftedness that some people have, just like intelligence, right? So I like to say like, Elon Musk didn't just take a smart drug or work a bit harder than me in school, right? Like there's, there's he, he was smarter than me to begin with and he worked harder than I ever would want to, to, to take full advantage of that giftedness. And that's the intellectual giftedness, right? So. Physically, it's the same thing. I, I could go back in time and I could hire a personal trainer. You know, I'd, I'd invest all my money in Apple, come out of it at the, you know, 14, 15 loaded, put all my money into having a trainer um, and a bunch of NFL experts to teach me how to play football. And I'll take all the drugs in the world. You're not going to see me in the NFL. Right. Mm -hmm. it, there's, a, there's a physical giftedness those people have that I don't. But I have my own gifts and that's what I got to work with. So trying to think that if we could just understand the human body more and more and more to the point where we could manipulate these things without any side effects, of course. Right. Then then we could look the way we want to look. You know, you, you pick your favorite action star right now and be like, oh, I just need to figure out if I can just figure out what Chris Hemsworth did then in a matter of mere months, I too could be six foot three with a sexy Australian accent, right? Like it's, it, it's not going to change that. I'm still going to be five ten and Canadian, right? So it was just letting go of that and realizing I, I can work with the generalities of knowing how to lose fat and how to build muscle. And then I'm just going to be happy with the results that I get from me. And then realize that past that general concept, all this extra ideas, all these extra sort of things you can do are more just trying to find a, a group of people you can fit in with, right? It's, it's to find a diet that's fun and trendy and keeps your interest and less to do with like finding the actual magic that'll make something happen other than just hard work at a gym and consistent, responsible eating. Yeah. Oh man, I have about 15 questions that came up while you were sh <laughs> chatting there. I'm, I'm curious, total sidebar, and I'm not asking you to uh, make any enemies here, but what do you think of the ketogenic diet? Oh, okay. So really cool. Um, 
Okay, so you got the sidebar, so now I'm going to take us on a trip. Okay. <laughs> All right, so your, if we ignore calories, because calories are ridiculously hard to understand, honestly. Like I, I know people are like, no, they're easy. I'm like, no, they are not. Because most people think of a calorie as energy that then gets turned into matter in your body, and that matter gets turned back into energy. Like we're talking Star Trek transport order technology, right? When you That's how abstract you have to be. So let's forget calories and think of your fat. Like if I just grab a handful of fat, that's mostly carbon, right? The fat, fatty acids are nothing more than chains of, of carbon molecules. So that's carbon. It's what it's made of. Your food is mostly water and carbon, right? So when you eat, you're mostly consuming water. We're going to ignore the water. So we're mostly consuming carbon, just, just chains of carbon. And those chains of carbon get turned into or used like Lego bricks to make various components of your body, right? Whether it's muscle or fat or enzymes or hormones or, or your stomach or your liver. And then if you eat too much carbon, more than you need to make those things, you store it as fat, right? It's, it's nice and simple. So we can forget calories. Now, a carbohydrate is carbon. And then a fat or a hydrocarbon is also carbon. So you're still consuming carbon. You're still consuming something that, that gets turned into various components of your body. And if you eat too much of it, it gets turned into fat. So the ketogenic diet has a lot of benefits in that you will see rapid fat loss in the very beginning, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just, just to clarify for our listeners, ketogenic diet is kind of like Atkins 2.0, right? It's you, you limit your carbohydrate intake. Limit your carbs as much as possible and replace them with fat as much as possible. And then the, the debate on ketogenic diet is really just comes down to how much protein. Some people think it should be low. Some people think you can get away with slightly higher, right? But the generality of it is a high fat, very low carbohydrate diet. Right. Okay. But see, okay. You're, you're still consuming stuff, <laughs> right? And so I think some things happen here is one, it is – it's kind of like the ultimate bait and switch, in my opinion. I know a lot of people love keto, but if I go to you and I'm like, dude, I've got a diet for you, get this. You're going to lose weight and you get to eat like bacon and eggs and sausage. You're going to be like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. And then there's little asterisks with a sidebar. It's like, oh, by the way, man, that's, that's, the, that's the only stuff you get to eat. Right. And you're like, wait, what? I'm like, no, nothing, nothing. You get to eat bacon and steak and just never any carbs again for the rest of your life. And you're like, wait, I heard you say something. Right. I'm right. Like, okay. So it's a bit of a bait and switch. So some things happen here is that I, I, there's a rapid fat loss in the beginning or at least a rapid weight loss. That's, that just happens in, in most studies. That's, that's kind of consistent. And then by the end of, let's say, six to eight months, the fat loss kind of evens out in the studies. I, I think it's because it's, it's, fairly hard to eat a lot of just fat and i'll give you a great example of that um like a 24 ounce ribeye steak it's pretty impressive right like that's a big steak and then you go on to the you know the, your websites or the usda food database and you're like i wonder how many calories is in a 24 ounce steak so you're like okay i'm gonna look up a uh, a ribeye steak and it's gonna be some sort of just insane amount of uh of calories but the problem is the 24 ounces was raw right and so 24 ounces raw might have well it would be have a let me think here i'm gonna guess at maybe 1,000 calories, maybe 1,200. But it's about an 18-ounce steak when it gets served on your plate. Right. And that's because the fat drips off. Yeah. You lose water, but you also lose a fair amount of fat. As you heat it up, the fat liquefies, drops in. It's the thing that causes a giant flame to your barbecue when you're not paying attention. So a 24-ounce raw steak is actually like maybe an 18-ounce non-raw steak, and it's a lot less calories than you may think. It really is funny, but it's it's – you know, even a fatty steak grilled to, you know, medium, it is not as calorie dense as, as you may think. So there's some fun with math that goes on with the ketogenic diet, specifically with grilling meat, right? Like that doesn't happen with eggs or, or cups of dairy, cups of full cream, that kind of crap. But with steak, it, it has that effect. So a ketogenic diet is a diet that you can do that will cause weight loss as long as, and this is kind of my fun caveat, 
the amount of total carbon, forget calories, total carbon you eat is less than the amount of total carbon that leaves your body, right? Because the calories are that weird thing where people are like, but I think they leave is heat or something like that. But we know, because we've all taken like grade nine science, that matter, like carbon, it can't be destroyed, right? It's either there or it's not. And so carbon comes in through your food. And here's the really fun part. It leaves your body through your breath. Right, mm. your two that you breathe out, that carbon dioxide, those carbons are the ones that that's where your fat goes. Once your fat's been quote unquote burnt, the, the it's just a carbon long carbon chain to cut down the smaller, smaller carbons until they're carbon dioxide and you breathe them out. So, the, the actual biology, and this gets back all the way to our sort of Zen talk. I mean, the actual biology is ridiculously simple, right? It's a carbon in through your food and your drink, and carbon out through breathing. So, it's so we'll just Sometimes just keep breathing and sometimes breathe a little harder because you're exercising and that's, that's it. So the, 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 well, the ketogenic diet does have evidence that it is a fat loss promoting diet like almost any other diet. It's not outside of the rule of those carbon molecules that have a specific known weight have to go somewhere. So they're either being breathed out or they're being stored just like any other carbon. Yeah. And, and this is, this is interesting because I'm hearing uh, sort of once learning about this, I can see why you would be exploring uh, some of the topics of your other books like um, Thin Air, uh, which is about the carbon in the atmosphere and in our environments and how that affects our, our physiology, as well as uh, Good Belly, Bad Belly, which is all about gut health. I haven't read either of those books, disclaimer, but but uh, I can see how this would inform those because now you've got all these other variables, including like the enzyme, you know, uh, content in the food and, 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 and how much sleep you got. So how much, how, how does the food interact with a body that's sleep deprived and exactly what else have yeah, you so, seen with it and things like that? Yeah, you've nailed it. So because the actual biology is simple, but because the variables are unlimited, that's, I think where we have to look. So the good thing about my books is, you know, most of them can be summed up in a couple sentences and I just ramble on the book explaining it. So thin air is, is, is a very simple concept that, you know, we worry about outdoor CO2 levels, right? That's kind of the argument for or against climate change. And, you know, experts out there worry that when we hit like 420 parts per million that, you know, it, it affects human physiology negatively. And it got me thinking, I'm like, I wonder what it is indoors and the mm -hmm. indoors insane like my house was at a thousand really you measured your house yeah you can get a co2 monitor from a co2meter.com and i actually just bought one and travel around with it it's ridiculously simple it looks like an alarm clock like that's how simple it is and i just plugged it in and i and so i looked at the research and it was basically suggesting that 600 is kind of an appropriate cutoff right like for indoor air and anything above that you're gonna feel Depending on how sensitive you are, because everybody's a bit more sensitive, but at like, let's say a thousand, you're going to feel tired, lethargic, you know, fatigued. And so I'm, I was thinking, I'm like, well, if you really want to lose weight, and you're like, I'm going to exercise, like I'm going to be active, and you spend all day in some crappy office where the CO2 levels are like 2,000, and then you drive home in your car, and who knows what the levels are there, and then you get home into your house, and the levels are let's say 1,500. You're just exhausted all the time. And I'm sitting there telling you, no, man, go work out. You got to be active. And you're like, I don't, I don't have the energy to be active, you asshole. Right? <laughs> so, and I wanted to look at why. And then we started realizing your CO2 levels can be highest in the bedroom, right? Because you, you sleep in a bedroom. Typically, you have like the windows and the door closed when you sleep. And that affects your, the, your sleep quality. And we do know that sleep quality affects your ability to gain or lose weight for whatever reason. It might be that you eat more. It might be that you're up. But these 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 little weird variables matter. And then the problem with a lot of them, especially the, the CO2 levels in your house or your work, is you can't see it, so you don't really care. Mm. Right? Like it, it's really funny that it, pitching the idea to people that like, you know, one of the better things you could do for your health is open a window – they want it to be complex, right? They're right. Like, no, I need to eat a specific amount of blueberries for every piece of steak I right. eat by the amount of orange juice and cream. Like, and like, no, just open a window and you'll feel better, right? Go for a walk. Like, if you're, if you're really hungry right now, here's something really cool to do. Leave your house and go for a walk. You, you, I don't care if you live in down, maybe LA is different, but like downtown most city centers, the air outside is better than the air in your house for CO2 levels. There's just more air to disperse because – if you live, let's say, in Canada like me or, or, or even L.A., anywhere hot, your houses are made to be airtight, 
right? Because you don't want to, in my case, lose heat, in your case, lose air conditioning, right? So it's different when you live on a tropical island and you're, you know, you're using the breeze to cool your house and your house has been architecturally designed to take advantage of the, the, the trade winds or whatever it may be. When you live, you know, in a major city center in North America, your house is designed to be airtight so that you don't waste money heating or cooling the outside air. Yeah. Right? yeah. So air in your house sucks if you don't have a window open. Um, anybody who's ever shared a, a hotel room with six buddies on a, on a, a drinking night, <laughs> it's like you're not sleeping well and it's not in the booze. The fact you have six people just exhaling CO2, rising, bringing up the levels as much as possible for the eight or nine hours you're sleeping. So that was my sort of quest with that, was looking at something completely invisible, which is the carbon dioxide in the air. Yeah. And, and if you can manipulate that, could you feel less fatigued, less exhausted, less migraines, less tired, less hungry, have better sleeps? If you're less tired, you're more active. If you're less hungry, hopefully you're eating less. You know, it, it just if you're having better sleep, that ties in too, right? So there's just – I hate to use the word holistic. It's been, it's been sort of stolen and used to describe other things. But I guess there's so many variables in your life that contribute to your ability to gain weight or lose weight. It's not just the exact specific ratio of vitamin C and vitamin E in your diet that mm. does it. So yeah. it's good belly, bad belly was just looking at, you know, the role that gut bacteria plays. And then before we get deep into probiotics and prebiotics and all that kind of stuff, kind of sit there thinking, why is your gut bacteria need to be altered in the first place? Like, what are we doing that's, that's altered that? And, and that kind of came to the conclusion of like your gut bacteria – really enjoy fruit and berries and stuff like that. And we just don't eat much of that. Yeah. You know, it's, we, we eat a lot of processed foods, not in the process like McDonald's way, but just processed and just about everything, right? Like most of the food we eat has been treated to some degree. And unless you're in the habit of it, you know, a bowl full of berries, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, you know, a bowl full isn't something you'd normally go for unless someone – prepared it for you, which is really ridiculous because preparing it just means washing it. Like it's not hard right. to make. Yeah. You know, we just kind of forget about it, but it seems that fruit and vegetables play a fundamental role, go figure, in having a, sort of a healthy gut bacteria. And so if anybody's worried about their gut, my suggestion is before you start doing crazy funky stuff with your diet, just try fruit. Like it's just try some berries. I like just add that in and see what happens. So. Yeah, but there, there's there, there's so many diets out there right now that like absolutely forbid fructose, which is the the main sugar in fruit, and glucose, which is in dates and things like that. I run on that stuff. I eat a ton of fruit. I know you do too. So when people tell me like, "Oh, dude, fruit's the devil," I don't. I, what are you supposed to believe here? You know. Well, you know the the hard part on that one is um, just breaking it down to the rational side of it right so for instance i like the fact you said that you know fructose is the made is the, the sugar in fruit and that's kind of true i mean it's called fructose because it's found in fruit but it's not all the sugar in fruit so to give you an idea right. let's uh let's divide this up okay i'm doing quick math in my head so excuse me if it's all if you, if you hear like a hamster running fast in a wheel that's just <laughs> so a cup of blackberries we're talking about 60 calories like 3.5 grams of fructose. A cup of blueberries, a bit, bit denser, 80 calories, 7 grams of fructose. A cup of raspberries, uh, 60 calories, 3 grams of fructose. So if you did all together, that's three cups of berries in a bowl, right? That's a roughly 200 calories, be almost 5 grams of protein, 37 grams of carbs, 13 grams of fructose. So you're looking at much less fructose there than you'd find in a, you know, a average can of pop so not a giant gallon of pop but like it's just a can but you'd also be looking at just an extremely high amount of fiber like probably 18 20 grams yeah and just a giant whack of polyphenols which are the sort of the health promoting chemicals found in in colored fruits like all those berries so yeah. they contain fructose but they're not fructose bombs right so yeah i feel, I feel like that that gets left out of the conversation is that you've got this whole nutritional complex that comes with the it's like a perfectly packaged proportioned made ready-made thing for for human beings to be eating yeah, did you guys have the candy nerds in the states? Oh, dude, I, yeah, I grew up okay, on that. So that—that's what you know. Colored sugar is—it's a nerd. There's a very big difference between a blue nerd and a blueberry. 
Right. So, and in fact, if I, I don't know the complete ins and outs of the latest rules of ketogenic dieting, but I'm pretty sure 37 grams of carbs across a day would be acceptable. Right. In fact, I think a lot of them are fine with like 50. So you're closing in on like five cups of berries fit into a ketogenic diet. But that's so, so you know what? You can probably deal with at least adding a cup right. of berries. Right. You know, and if, if you don't know where to add it, if you're having dessert, you're having ice cream, throw them on that. Like just, you know, just find <laughs> them, right? Yeah. But, yeah. And, and it, it's funny because now we're thinking about how it's not complex. We're going right back to the food, food again. I'm not telling you to get, you know, 1.82 milligrams of gallic acid equivalent from polyphenols. I'm saying eat some berries. They're tea. Yeah. So it's just always bringing it back into a context that people can work with. So there's a lot of talk these days about uh, the the gut being a, a second brain. What can you explain that um, to us <laughs> specifically? Like what what does that exactly mean, and how do we optimize that second brain? All right. So the I guess the two ways of looking at it is um, your mind controls your gut, and you know it tells you when you're hungry, and then your gut does the work for your mind, or your gut tells your mind when it's hungry and causes you to go and get food, right? So there's two ways of looking at it, and most people agree it's probably somewhere in the middle. They work together. So your gut seems to be able to send messages directly to your brain and your brain directly to your gut, and they synchronize. So instead of saying a second brain, maybe think of the second part of your brain, the third lobe, something like that, um, and, and they synchronize a whole host of uh, chemical processes in your body. So we can get down to talking about exactly how they affect even dopamine and serotonin and, and, you know, the conversion of, of glucose and fructose or into short chain fatty acids, which even can be turned into amino acids. Or we could just say that like these things, your body works together. And the idea that you, the whole, you have a mind, but you're in a body kind of thing is like, well, you know, I can control my arms but I can't really control my thoughts. So I'm almost a body that has a mind. So let's just split the difference and say we're just one big thing. Right? So, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. You, your gut with, with your mind. So if your gut's really messed up, that's like saying if, you know, your third lobe, a third of your brain is kind of messy. And that's not cool. No one, no one would like that idea. So it's sort of treating your gut like it is part of your mind, realizing they, they do work together, realizing that there's foods that you crave that, you know, just pretending you don't crave them is probably not going to do anything. And that the gut and the bacteria residing in your gut, which sounds really gross, but it's just sort of part of being a human, um, do play a role in the metabolism and physiology of the rest of your body. They orchestrate it in a similar way to your brain. And, and we'll eventually find out they orchestrate it in a similar way to just how everything in your body orchestrates. So the, the thing that there's anything in your body that's inert and doesn't play a role in somehow directing some of your physiology, I think is asinine. Like we used to think that fat was just stored energy and it is made of carbon, but it also relays messages back to your body on, on how your body should act. Same with muscle, same with blood, same with bone, right? It just, it, it's all parts of the whole. And, and I think we, we like to, you know, it's a very sciencey thing to do to rip something out of the hole and examine it in, in sort of this, you know, space ether and be like, that's what this does and right. it's in the hole. Right. And yeah. so that's what we've been doing for a hundred years. And we just keep coming back to the fact that maybe we can't look at the body that way. And it's just, it's a hole and little pieces do their role as part of the whole. And I know that got really kind of weird, but again, that's why spending a lot of time doing in-depth reading about this stuff, um, unless you're like me and you get paid to do it, is probably a, a, a waste of time. It's, it's, it's a hobby, but it's not one that really helps. It's kind of like as much as you want to read Road and Track, it gets you no closer to owning a Ferrari. You just know a lot about the engine. Folks, welcome back to the bookends. Uh, this is AJ, and of course, I'm here with uh, the star of the show, Trev, who got us this interview and conducted this interview. Um, I'm excited to listen to this interview. It's one of those times where uh, I was not present and uh, have not yet had a chance to listen, so I'm really excited. But I also, uh, this is going to be kind of selfish, but 
the entire IAP team is currently being interviewed over at the Hollywood Hustle podcast. And the reason I bring it up is because in the second part of Grace Gordon's interview, they do talk about um, health, nutrition, body shaming, etc. So it might be an interesting supplement to this, although obviously Brad's focuses more on the, um, the science side, the fasting side, the nutrition side of, of things as opposed to the um, – the industry side of things. Unless you got into that, Trev, did you get into that at all? By proxy. Yeah. 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 By, by proxy. I mean, you know, there's, it's impossible to talk about this stuff and not get into the sort of the mindset of it and, and the emotional relationship we all have with this stuff. So, so yeah, it, we do address it, but in, an, in a roundabout way. Right on, right on. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, check, uh, check that out over at uh, uh, Hollywood. Just do a search for Hollywood hustle in your, in your favorite podcasting app. And then, um, you know, we've got uh, Trevor's interview is up. Uh, Grace's interview is up. My interview is coming. And then we did a round table with, um, Trevor, myself and the two, uh, co-hosts over there, uh, Michael and Daniel. So, uh, pretty cool, fun stuff. And then we've got more from Brad coming over the next episode or two. So, uh, stay tuned to that. Uh, Trev, what is your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is something that I picked a while ago, but there's a new edition of it out. And I've been on a little bit of a journey lately with my health. Uh, we can talk more about this when we do a, a review episode, a quarterly review episode, which should be coming up timeline-wise soon. Um, but uh, I picked up the book Thrive Again by a guy named Brendan Brazier. Uh, that book has been out for 10 years now, and it was, it has been, I should say, for many months of these past 10 years my go-to nutrition Bible, as I sort of just said in, this, in the interview and, and just now, uh, I've always sort of been interested in how things work when it comes to health and nutrition, and I've always sort of liked to experiment and try things out, and I've tried a lot of different diets. Um, Brad has a great saying on his, on his Instagram. It says, if it fits your morals. Uh, turns out he and I are both vegan, which is pretty awesome. But uh, so I've always experimented within that framework of like, do no harm, uh, or as little harm as possible, tread lightly, you know, try and focus on the, the whole foods, that kind of thing. And I always come back to thrive, I come back to this book by Brendan Brazier. And the new edition has like, a couple dozen new recipes, there's a forward by Hugh Jackman. Uh, and I was kind of like, is it worth it to purchase this book all over again? for just a few recipes and this forward by Hugh Jackman. So I got it from the library and I was reading it and there is actually probably a hundred new pages of content, new science, new approaches, new mindset stuff, new, the recipes are killer. Uh, I just love it, man. I've just been digging it all over again. So I would be remiss if I did not recommend this to our listeners, whether you're vegan or not, like don't even let that be part of the conversation. Just check it out because it is a top level world-class education in nutrition and what his specifically his philosophy which is what he calls high net gain nutrition so basically the whole diet is centered around foods that are very easy for your body to assimilate so mm. the the more of those you eat the less taxing digestion is on your body and the more energy you'll have to recover to uh, repair yourself to go out and do fun cool things and i every time i come back to this i'm like why did i ever stop eating this way this is just huh. amazing. And I'll, like I said, I'll talk more about this in an upcoming episode, but I had a little bit of a of sort of a personal health crisis and I was like, I got to do something here. And so I turned back to this book and within a week I noticed massive changes. Wow. So uh, I can't recommend it enough. Thrive 10th anniversary edition by Brendan Brazier. Now he's got several different books, but this one that is linked on our website, they all have the word thrive in them, <laughs> but this one on the website <laughs> That's is... Confusing. Yeah, well, the, you know, there's like a recipe. There's two recipe books, and and there's a fitness book, and they all sort of emphasize different aspects of uh, of his uh, philosophy. They, they uh, there's much overlap between them, but this this one is the sort of most comprehensive sort of starter starter version of everything. Got it. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, it's definitely um, it, it's it will level up your health if you manage to follow even ten percent of it. Amazing. Yeah, I, I'm. You said the magic words. Hugh Jackman. I know. So I knew. I'm, I knew uh, you were gonna. I knew that was gonna get you. <laughs> uh, I'm in. Yeah. So you. So in other words, you weren't. You, you didn't mention Hugh Jackman to talk about what's new in the book. You mentioned it to reel me in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I think AJ will perk up when he hears this part. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. I can't yeah. click on it right now because of the uh, 
my internet, my current internet situation, but uh, I will uh, come back to the uh, Amazon link on our website and check yeah. that out. You know what? I, you know what I appreciate about Hugh Jackman's forward in this book as well is he flat out says he's like, "Look, I'm not a, I'm not a vegan. I don't, I don't eat a vegan diet." And he's like, "But I probably will be <laughs> because I feel great, and when I follow Brendan's advice, things really take a turn for the better, and my cravings go away, and all the, you know." He just kind of outlines what he's experienced and how how reluctant he was or resistant he was to, you know, getting involved in this whole conversation and sort of cluttering up his head with with all this information. Because he's not he says it in the in the forward. He's not a guy that, like, you know, is inherently sort of interested in going down that rabbit hole. So it's it's a pretty honest and exciting way to start this 10th edition. I I was quite charmed by Hugh Jackman's Hmm. forward. Hugh yeah. Jackman was charming? Yeah, I'm, what? I'm shocked. <laughs> so what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is the HBO original documentary called If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast. And that title refers to a joke that Carl Reiner now tells in um, either when he's doing sort of stand-up or having conversations with people uh, you know, on stage, kind of interview style. He has this joke where he says – I get up every morning and I read the ob- the obituaries, and if I'm not in there, I have breakfast, <laughs> uh, which I just is such a funny, hilarious. Uh, speaking of charming, charming joke, and I love him. I love Carl Reiner. I love um, him as a as an artist, as a person, as a filmmaker, as a as a comedian. And <clears throat> this uh, documentary is just about being a. Um, Nonagerian? Is that how it's said? Everybody who's in the documentary is 90 years old or older. And he interviews uh, Mel Brooks, Stan Lee, uh, Betty White, Kirk Douglas. Uh, the show that Kirk Douglas did at our job, Trevor, is in this documentary. Like there's footage from the Kirk Douglas Theater in this documentary. Oh, it's it's cool. crazy. Um, <clears throat> and then a whole bunch of people that you've you know, never heard of in air quotes because they're not celebrities or whatever, but they're just living their best life. There's this guy who's still going skydiving at 90 plus Um, this woman who teaches yoga at 90 plus and, and does like ballroom dancing. It's unbelievable. Like these people are such inspirations. Um, It will like just lift your heart, inspire you. It might even make you shed a tear. Um, It is an incredible, uh, I, I hesitate to call it a documentary because it, you know, most documentaries are about a particular, you know, subject and the study of that subject. And this one is really just about, you know, being vital after, after 90. Yes, that could be considered the subject, but it's really just a bunch of really interesting stories or vignettes of, of these different people that he interviews. So, um, I, I, I loved it. I'm actually going to watch it again um, because, you know, first time through is just kind of like taking it in. And I, I really want to um, soak it up, soak up their um, advice and um, and 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 sort of tools. And what do they do to, like, keep themselves healthy and strong and vibrant and, you know, what kind of things they're they're sort of into as far as creativity goes. So it's a beautiful documentary. It's called If You're Not in the Obit eat breakfast um i guess if you have an hbo now subscription you can watch it uh or stream it i i don't know if there's any other way to see it so i apologize if you do not have um an hbo uh subscription but maybe you can i don't know borrow one i mean you've been watching game of thrones right people just go watch this as well (laughs) (laughs) right on awesome all right this is something to check out i'm excited to, to look into this very cool I I think you're gonna uh, I think you're gonna love it, Trev. I, I thought about you quite a lot when I was watching it. So cool, um, especially since it was you know partially filmed at our job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, rock on. So we we also have a, a team member pick of the week uh, from Jen, our production coordinator, who is always crushing it. And uh, her pick of the week is the show Crazy Ex Girlfriend in general, but more specifically the song called A Diagnosis. A Diagnosis. It was in an episode that aired uh, in November of 2017. She says it's a really great show. 
she's, she has actually has, ta- has talked about it to us uh, quite a bit, but she says this was particularly uh, impactful for her because when she was a teenager, she was diagnosed with having depression, and she assumed the doctors knew what they were talking about, uh, but none of the medications they put her on seemed to work. So when she was in her 20s, she was also told she had some other issues, got medications for that as well, um, things just didn't feel right. And so it really took until her 30s before she sort of figured out that things were uh, misdiagnosed, that she actually wasn't suffering from these things that she had been um, told that she was. So while she still struggles with a lot of this stuff, uh, she says things have been a lot better for her since she found out exactly what battles she is fighting. And that's what this song is about, the song A Diagnosis. So she's very happy to know uh, what boxes she finally actually is uh, able to check so that she can do the specific work of healing. So um, so there's a link to this song. It's a YouTube video. There's a link to it in the show notes for this website, uh, for this episode, I should say. Link... Wow, Trevor, think before you speak. <laughs> you guys know what I'm saying. Uh, Jen says that, you know, everyone has mental health struggles, uh, and that's very true. I think all of us are fighting a hard battle. Uh, and there there still is some stigma around uh, the the mental battles that we all fight every day. It, it can be sort of seen as a sign of weakness to say I'm struggling emotionally or struggling mentally. Um, I'm looking forward to the day when it's when we have a little more compassion for that kind of thing in each other. But she says, uh, Jen says that shows like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, believe it or not, are really helping to make things better and easier to accept. And that's just a badass thing. And plus, it's a great song. So check it out. Link in the show notes uh, for the episode that you're listening to on our website. Whew, got that one out uh, for yeah, this song, A Diagnosis. So that is Thrive 10th Anniversary Edition by Brendan Brazier. If you're not in the obit, Eat Breakfast, an HBO documentary uh, that comes to us from AJ. And then, of course, this song, A Diagnosis, from the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Link to the video of that is on our website. That does it for episode 306. Anything else before we boogie out of here? Nah, man, we're good. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Today's episode was produced and hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and, of course, AJ Meyer. Team IAP also includes Jen Levin and Grace Gordon. Visit us online at InsideActing.net to sign up for our email dispatch and get uh, all of our episodes. They're all there on our website still. (laughs) We're also on social media and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts. And you guys can directly support the production of Inside Acting with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution. Just visit us at InsideActing.net to learn more about how to do that. That's it. Wow. Good, good, good episode, man. Like, uh, just like solid content we're bringing these folks. I'm proud of us. <laughs> uh, that's episode 306. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, go to the gym. <laughs>